Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. And listen, we're gonna continue in this series that we're calling 40. Since we are turning 40 as a church, uh, we thought it would be fun to do a series called 40. So quick plug for next week, we're gonna have some of our charter members, so to speak, people that are OGs here at BC and have been around a really long time. We're gonna do a panel discussion with them and they're gonna share some stories of God's faithfulness and it's gonna be a really powerful service. And so come on back and next week's gonna be a lot of fun. But today we're gonna continue in this series and one of the things we're doing is not only are we celebrating and looking back, but we're also taking a look at this number 40 and the significance of 40 in the Bible. There's so many different spots in the Bible where you can see it, and so today, I wanna use a story that all of us have probably heard at one point or another. Even if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, you probably know a little something about this story. It's a story about Noah and the ark. Let me just catch you up to what's happening here where we're about to read in Genesis. Um, Noah, is, he's living on the earth during a very interesting time. Remember, God makes earth and it's perfect. He places two people in this paradise called Eden and then sin enters the world. Before you know it, um, all of God's plans get hijacked by the enemy. And it's a whole different story for another day, but the earth becomes so wicked and so immoral that God says there's only one righteous man and one righteous family on the entire planet. So he comes to Noah and he says, you are the only person still serving the living God and I have a special assignment for you. He said, I want you to build a boat. Noah had never seen a boat to this scale, had never seen anything like it and God gave him the specs for the boat. He gave him the blueprint. He even told him what kind of wood he wanted to use. It's a really fascinating story if you go looking for it. Fun fact, I was talking about this with a friend a couple weeks ago. They actually believe they know where the ark is found, and you can see it on Google Maps if you search it there. It's pretty cool. But think about this. This is how much God loves you and how much he loves mankind. Most people conservatively estimate that it took Noah about a couple decades to build the ark. That's the conservative estimate. But there are plenty of theologians that believe it took him at least 75 years. Some believe it took him over 100 years to build this ark. Can you, can you imagine that? And here's why I say that this is shouting the love and the grace of God, because the entire time that Noah was building this monstrosity and all of the wicked people of that day that were living in darkness are walking back and forth across their town and they're looking at this boat, the entire time God is saying, Noah, I want you to call people to repentance. I want you to tell him it's not too late. If you turn to the one true living God, he can save you. This doesn't have to happen. But this is, this is what happened for decades. People walked right by and did not heed his warning. And this is what the Bible says. It says that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. And so not unlike Noah, we are here in this immoral time and we think it's dark now, it's nothing compared to what it was in Noah's time, but it's getting closer. The Bible says in the last days, it's gonna get more and more wicked, more and more dark and decrepit. This is what we're headed towards, but we have the same exact assignment, that we are to call people to this boat of salvation through Jesus Christ and say, hey, it's not too late. Turn to Jesus and he can turn things around. And so this is where we pick up in the final seven days after at the very least decades, maybe even 100 years, imagine this, finally God says, it's go time. And he says, Noah, I want you to gather all of the animals and I want you to bring them onto the ark. And this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter seven, verse nine. You can read it with me on the screen. They came, 
motivated by God into the ark. Time out. I like that phrase. Because I don't know about you, but I bet some of you don't even know why you're here today, but it's just like something motivated you to get here. It's just like you, you just were stumbling through. I can't tell you how many people tell me, I just like Googled churches one day because I was just curious. Or I was just driving by the sign or I saw the billboard that said no perfect people allowed. And it's like, I couldn't help but come in. It was like this nagging thing in me made me need to come here. You came here motivated by God. That's exactly what's happening here. Motivated by God into the ark with Noah, they came two by two. The male and the female, just as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, God released the rain, the floodwaters came on the earth, and in the 600th year of Noah's life, Noah was not young, but he was still spry and had a lot of energy, obviously. On the 17th day of the second month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep subterranean waters burst open, and the windows and floodgates of the heavens were opened, and it rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, can I just put you in the shoes of every person that walked by this boat for decades? And can you just imagine when that first drop hits the earth, when the floodwaters from the deep come pouring out? That was a oh crap moment. You know what I mean? Like they had every chance in the world. And I just want you to think about that. There will be a day when Jesus comes. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So our mission, just like Noah, is to get them to bow their knee on this side of heaven. But can you imagine this flood comes and 40 days and 40 nights it begins to rain. And I don't wanna talk about that so much today. I wanna talk about an interesting phrase. As I was reading this story quite a while ago, God started kind of stirring in me this message. And I wanna take a look at this phrase, two by two. Two by two. I think it's interesting how many times you see this specific phrase in the Bible. Give you a couple of other examples. There's another moment where Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go and to start to minister outside of where they were in Jerusalem. So remember, Jesus has been teaching them how to follow and obey his commands and teaching them ministry. They were his disciples or apprentices. And then Jesus says, I'm gonna send you out and I want you to begin to do what I've done and modeled in front of you all over the place. So this is where we pick up in Mark chapter six, verse six. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. Now, can I just point out something really practical? If Jesus' mission was to spread the good news of the gospel and tell people, prepare the way of the Lord, if that was his mission, it would only make sense that he'd wanna spread it as fast as he could to as many people as he could, and you would think he would send 12 different disciples in 12 different directions to 12 different cities, but that's not how Jesus chose to send them. He sends them two by two. Isn't that interesting? So let's keep reading here. Mark chapter six, verse eight. These were his instructions. Take nothing on the journey except a staff. Listen to this. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And I think we can learn just as much from what Jesus commanded them not to bring as we can from what he commanded them to bring. I want you to think about this. He says, don't even bring bread. Why would Jesus, who has, by the way, multiplied bread for them, why, why would he say don't bring bread? I believe it's because he didn't want them to become dependent on their ability to provide the bread or make the bread. He wanted them to become dependent on his ability to provide it for them. He wanted them every day to wake up before they went to do ministry and say, God, give me this day my daily bread. 
I trust you, right? And I was thinking about, man, he didn't even want them to bring money. I mean, they had a treasury. Judas was the treasurer, so it was a little sketch, but I mean, they did have a treasury. But how often do we wait on stability before we step out in our call with God? And we just kind of say, God, when all the conditions are just right and when I'm feeling it and when everybody else is with me and and there's not gonna be any resistance, then I'll follow you. But I think that's the opposite of when Jesus calls us. Can I just give you a quick encouraging story? Um, This is a little side path on our message journey here today, but I think it'll encourage you. You know, we're living during obviously economically difficult times like inflation and the value of a dollar and Uh, Man, we're looking for a house right now, and it's going to take an act of God to get in the house we want. But I wanted to share an encouraging story with you because nothing is new under the sun. All of the things that we're struggling with and we're battling in our culture, these are things that people of God in the past have trusted God through, and he's come through in times before us. So there's a story told by a great pastor um, who's from the Pittsburgh area, and his uh, grandparents were pastors as well. They were pastors in this little rural area in West Virginia. It was kind of up in the hill country. It was in the 1950s, and they didn't have two nickels to rub together, and they were called to reach these very poor, impoverished people, but they just had the joy of the Lord. They were excited that they were called to be there. Someone gave them this tiny little parsonage on the hillside. It was like almost a shack, basically, and they never knew where their next meal was going to come from. As a matter of fact, one day the husband went out to do some work and uh, went out to do some ministry and she's sitting there and she's not sure how they're gonna make their next meal. And so as she's praying for God to provide, mid-prayer, mid-prayer, she sees 21 chickens. She starts counting, one, two, three, 21 chickens lined up single file walking down from the neighbor's farm, which was a pretty decent walk. They walk straight past her kitchen window. They walk into this barn that's on their property. She follows them in, and they lay 21 eggs right there in her barn. She can't even believe her eyes, and so she thinks, well, these are my neighbor's chickens, so uh, the least I could do is gather them in a basket and walk back up there, and so she starts to gather all the eggs, and she puts them in this basket, and she starts to follow the chickens, believe it or not, who walk single file all the way back to the farm where they live to their coop. She gets to the front door, She knocks on the door and this woman smoking a cigarette answers the door and she's kind of annoyed that she's there. She's like, what do you want? And she said, listen, I know this sounds kind of funny, but your chickens marched single file, all 21 of them, all the way down to my property. I'm the neighbor down the street, nice to meet you. And they all laid an egg. Well, the woman looked really annoyed. She said, there's no way these are our chickens. My husband hates these chickens because they have never laid a single egg in all the time that we've had them. And she says, well, ma'am, I hate to break it to you, but your chickens are laying plenty of eggs, and here's 21. And she said, ah, if they laid them on your property, you can have them. And so get this, every week for as long as they lived there, they had 21 eggs that would come to them delivered by the 21 chickens that would walk from the neighbor's chicken coop. Now get this, it gets even better. They ended up moving down the road uh, away as time went on. They moved somewhere else, and a funeral brought them back into the area. So they're in the funeral line, in the receiving line, and they're talking, and uh, they, they see their old neighbor. And she says, hey, you'll never believe it. As soon as, and I mean the day that you moved out, our chickens stopped producing eggs. They haven't produced an egg since you've lived here. 
Can I just, can I point out to you that God knows how to bring bread to you? God is a good God, and it doesn't matter if we're in a feast or a famine. It doesn't matter if the economy is going well or if the economy is tanking. You live in the economy of heaven, and God takes care of his kids. Anybody else thankful that God watches out for his children? That the righteous are never forsaken, and God's seed is never left begging for bread? All right, back to the story. So Jesus sends out these disciples two by two, and I want you to think about this. He says, I don't want you to bring anything except each other. If you have people and you have me, you have everything you need. And so it's this power of two by two. This is what Matthew 21 says. It's another instance where Jesus is getting ready for his triumphal entry. It's Palm Sunday coming up, and he sends out his disciples. Let's read this together. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. You'd be shocked how many times you can find two in the Bible. It's everywhere. In Genesis chapter one, I like to share this at weddings and I've got to share this plenty of times lately. In Genesis chapter one, after every single thing that God made in the six days of creation, he made the same statement. He made the mountains and the land and all the land-dwelling creatures, and he said, that's good. I did a good thing. Then he made the ocean, and he made, he made the sea-dwelling creatures, and he said, that's good. I like that. He made the sun and the moon and the stars. He said, that's really good. I really like that. That's a good thing that I made. At the end of all of it, he makes man on the sixth day. He said, that's good. And after he's made everything that you can see, he looks at his creation, and he said, I did a good thing. Seven times he says it in the creation account. Get this. Then we go to the very next chapter. God's observing man in this paradise that he has placed him in. I don't know what Adam did to give him the indication that he needed to make this statement, but God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And he says, I will make him a helper. I'll make her woman and she will help the man. Isn't that interesting? If Adam had kids, my hypothesis would have been that he was alone for the weekend and God was just observing the dad taking care of the kids and he thought it's not good for man to be alone. I don't know what he saw, but he saw something that indicated that it was not good for man to be alone. Chris Hodges likes to say it this way, the first problem in the garden wasn't sin, it was solitude. It was doing life alone, not living together with other people that could encourage you. And I think we have a huge, giant hint in the word alone because you can't spell alone without one. God's just screaming, saying, do life two by two. So since we're using the story of the ark as a jump off point, I thought it might be interesting to take some parallel, uh, parallels from the animal kingdom. And I wanna just show you how the kingdom of God operates through the animal kingdom since we're taking a look at the ark today. So we'll have a little fun with this. And it's interesting, whenever I think about herds, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm just fascinated by nature and I love like the Discovery Channel and National Geographic. Like as, as long as I can remember, I just love watching documentaries where you can see them in the Serengeti and you can watch them in their natural habitat. And herds are interesting, aren't they? Like in a herd, an animal finds protection from predators. That's one thing that's really huge that they find, right? They hunt together, they find their food, they find all the things that they need, they decide which direction they, they should go as a herd based on where the pack is traveling. I mean, everything that they find is found 
in a herd. And I think there's some pretty cool similarities to the kingdom of God. Like I'm thinking about what they called the early church. They didn't use the word church for several hundred years after Jesus created the church. They used the word ecclesia. If you read in the early account of the church, they used that word 112 times, as a matter of fact. And you know what it meant? It meant a gathering, like a pack, a called out congregation, an assembly, or a herd of people coming together. Read through Acts chapter two this week and just look for herd mentality. Look for just thinking for more than yourself. And it's all throughout the Bible. They had everything in common. When one person needed something, everybody rallied together to find what they needed so that they could supply it for each other. And here's the point. I want you to remember this today. You were called by God to be connected to a holy herd. Like as a follower of Jesus, this is part of what it looks like as you follow him. You're called to be connected to a holy herd. And so I don't care where the herd is and believers church might not be your final destination and that's okay. And if this isn't your style or the pastor's too hairy or whatever it might be, can I just, can I tell you, you can find me after the service and I'll recommend 16 other amazing herds somewhere, but you gotta find somewhere where you can put some roots down and get planted and grow some roots that will ultimately produce some fruit because God calls you to live life two by two. Now I want you to think about this. It stands to reason that if God wants us to find a herd, we have an enemy and he wants the exact opposite for our lives. Jimmy in the first service didn't know I was preaching on this and so what he shared during communion was so appropriate. The Holy Spirit has had us on the same page. But I want you to think about this scripture. Let's read it again together. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and sober-minded because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you study lions and you've seen enough of those Discovery Channel documentaries, when do lions attack? They wait until the animal is separated from the pack, separated from the herd, isolated, doing life on their own. And that's when they attack. That's when they pounce. I want you to think about when did Satan come to tempt Eve? It wasn't when she was hanging out with God and Adam, walking through the garden in the cool of the day. He waited till she was isolated and disconnected from people and from God. And that's when he brought the temptation. How about Jesus? Not even Jesus was exempt from this. Satan famously tempts Jesus, and he doesn't come to him at his baptism party. He doesn't come to him when there are hundreds of people that are cheering him on, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When does he come to him? when he's all alone, when he's empty and isolated. This is when the enemy tries to attack. So this is why it's so important that we find this holy herd where we can do life together. And I just wanna encourage you, you even, I say this with all the love of my heart, you need a pastor, you need a shepherd. Because if you don't have one, then you have no one that's caring for your soul. Just a few verses earlier in 1 Peter 5, you know what it says? Peter is commissioning some of the earliest pastors in the church. And he says, keep watch over the flock, the herd that has been entrusted to your care. Assigned to your care is another word that it uses. And so no, in other words, every one of us needs to have somebody in our life that is looking out for us and watching over our soul, caring for us, that will one day, as a matter of fact, answer to God for how they led us spiritually. You know what the word is for shepherd? 
in that scripture, it's poimain, and it literally means a sheep herder or a herdsman. So God's just painting this beautiful picture that I've called you to live in this holy herd. And when you live your life in a pack, it's really hard for the devil to attack. It just is. He won't even try to mess with you because he knows what he's up against. And by the way, one translation of 1 Peter says Satan comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, the enemy won't even try to attack unless we give him permission to attack. And one of the ways we give him permission to attack is when we do life alone, when we try to go at it as a one instead of two by two. So here's what we're gonna do just for the next couple of minutes. I wanna just tell you a couple of things that stand out to me about this concept of two by two. Here's the first one. Two makes more than you. We can create so much more when we are together than we can on our own. I want you to even just look at two by two on the screen. This is fascinating. It looks like a multiplication equation, doesn't it? Because really what God is trying to say is, hey, in the kingdom of God, it's not me plus you, it's me times you. Like there is a compound interest to the kingdom of God and the whole is so much greater than the sum of its parts. This is why when Noah brought the animals on, God instructed him, bring them on two by two because there is no animal on on earth, no, no human on earth that can reproduce without two, right? He even said for the clean animals, he said, I want you to bring seven pairs of two. He thought of everything just in case one of them got sick or one of them died or couldn't reproduce. God's always thinking multiplication. He told Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Puts Adam in the garden, introduces woman. And by the way, I didn't say this earlier, but remember, God said it's good when he makes man. Then he says it's not good when man is alone. Then he introduces woman in Proverbs 18, and he says, he who finds a wife has found a good thing and found favor with the Lord. Can you see that full circle thing that God does through relationships? And so that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to multiplication. He places Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to think about this. He places you right here in the valley, and he says the same exact thing. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, multiply this movement of Christianity all across the globe. I'm placing you in charge. I'm making you responsible. Be fruitful, multiply. Now, again, let me just make the obvious point. If this is what God says is good, and this is the design, that you live two by two, to the power of two. If that's true, can I just point out the obvious? The devil doesn't want you to live together with other people. As a matter of fact, he's terrified when you come together. He is. You remember this? Remember on the day of Pentecost? The disciples are gathered in the upper room and they're waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. 120 people in an upper room. You know who else was there observing that? Satan. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes when they are all together in one place. God inhabits their praises. The Bible says where two or more come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. God's praise brings his presence. And so here comes the Holy Spirit of God and it multiplies from 120 to 3,000 in just a couple hours time. 
Satan saw that, he's terrified of it. Y'all parents will, will understand this. What do we call our toddlers when they're two, three years old? We call it the terrible twos. This is what Satan says about you when he sees you getting together with other believers. He says, that's the terrible twos. I don't want anything to do with that because the last thing he wants to happen is that you get a hold of who you are in Christ and you get around some other people that are following Jesus on the journey and are getting free from their hurts and their habits and their hangups and following Jesus with everything you got. He's terrified when God God's people come together. You ever think about how powerful that is that when we come into a room, think about the power that we're packing together. This, this is an interesting scripture and it always makes me think in Deuteronomy, it says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. That's not addition, that's multiplication, baby. Like that's the power of this God that we serve when we come together two by two. I thought maybe I'd give you a good example from nature. This might gross some of you out. My wife's probably gonna be at the front of the line on this one, but it's just so cool, I wanna show you. Have you ever seen termite mounds? In particular, cathedral termite mounds? Look at this guy standing next to that mound for reference. These are massive mounds. They can grow up to 16, 20 feet tall. The termites build them out of like chewed up wood, feces, you're welcome, and all kinds of stuff, dirt, you name it. And, and all together, they build this, Amazing mound. I was reading about this. You know that they create air conditioning in these? The way that they have the tunnels going through, it creates this airflow that is really, it produces this cooling effect in these really hot climates. They can grow gardens in there of fungi. Like, I mean, it's just a really interesting thing. And here's what they say. These mounds that weigh five, 600 pounds, they can be produced by 33 pounds of termites. That, that's a beautiful picture. And I love that it says that they're cathedral mounds because this is the church. This is what we're called to do. We're called to build this cathedral, this kingdom of God. And I like that it says that they use feces to do it. Because listen, I want you to think about this. God could have had a perfect church. He could have said, it's just gonna be me, myself, and I. It's just gonna be the Holy Trinity and we'll just have the most amazing church and we won't ever have to have any conflict or any issues because we're perfect. But God chose to involve you in the story. And he said, I'm gonna let your crap and your mess and your, your stuff, I'm gonna let all of that come into this big, beautiful thing and I'm gonna use that to build my church. I'm gonna take something that's a mess and I'm gonna make it a masterpiece. Is anybody else thankful we have a God that takes our mess and uses it to build something beautiful? That's the power of multiplication because two makes more than you. This is Ecclesiastes 4.9 in motion. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. I want you to think about this. Not only is one the loneliest number, but it's also thinking way too small because God calls every one of us to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And so when we come here on a weekend, if all we're doing is coming here to sit down and be inspired by a 30-minute TED talk and have some music that lifts our spirits and get some chicken soup for the soul. And if that's all we're doing, we might as well just stay home and watch it on live stream. But there's something otherly that happens when God's people come, two or three or more, gathered in one place to worship him. It's a multiplying effect. Can I tell you this? In a couple of weeks after we celebrate the 40 years behind us, we're gonna start a series and it's called 41 and we're taking a look at where we're going in the future, where we are moving forward. And can I just tell you, it's a really big vision. The only way it's possible is through the power of two times two. 
The only way that we could achieve it is by all of us coming together with all of our collective parts and saying, God, this is all I have to give, but it's all you're asking me, so I'm bringing it to your kingdom, and I'm saying make something bigger when we bring it all together. So two makes more than you. Here's the next one. I like this. Two takes care of others. Two takes care of others. We were talking about a lion and how they attack when you're not in the pack and I want to just preface this for all the moms here that are about to be a little nervous. I'm going to show you a clip that I found that I think is so beautiful. It illustrates what we're talking about perfectly. And it's, it's a clip of some lions attacking a buffalo. But can you just, just hang on for a second because there's a happy ending, okay? Don't get too mad at me. Let's take a look at this. Isn't that awesome? Can we give it up for the power of together? I told you it had a good ending. Thought we were about to witness like Lion King part two, huh? Two takes care of others. I think this is just exactly how God's kingdom works. Let me give you a little bit more tame of a picture. I want this to be the thing you remember as you leave today. It's just a little sweeter. I think these turtles have together figured out. Let's look at this. Got a guy that's flopped over. That's Michelangelo, by the way. Here comes Donatello and Raphael. Take a look at what they do here. This is pretty cool. Isn't that pretty awesome? I love that. I think maybe for some of us, God's just challenging us to come out of our shell. And there's some things that God's been wanting to do in your life and through your life for a long time. And all it takes is just a decision you know, turtles don't move that fast. Maybe it's just taking a step and letting God develop you through that process of living life two by two. And I, I was just thinking about this. Let's read the second part of Ecclesiastes 4.9. So we read two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. But listen, this is that, the two videos just in scripture, it's almost like the Bible knows what it's talking about. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls. Pity the fool. That's uh, Mr. T. 
Always good when you can have a 1970s reference in your message in 2023. Worth it. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I want to just end by sharing a couple quick stories. And these are just examples of how God literally changed my life and saved my life through the power of together, the power of two. You know, we're about to celebrate 40 years, as you heard, and just thinking about the fact that our church almost didn't celebrate 26. Because about 15 years ago, we had just gotten done packing our whole church into the Packard Music Hall in Warren. This is before any of our, you know, campuses existed. And we had this massive celebration for 25 years had really never had any drastic changes or anything extreme happen um, where people had left our church. It just had all been up and to the right. My parents started when they were 24 and 20. Can you imagine that? That's when they founded Believer's Church. And um, I think about at 37, all the things I'm still learning. I can't, I mean, only God would, would help 24-year-old and 20-year-old to do this. But they heard God calling them in some different directions as they headed into year 26. And it required some big changes. And as they made those changes, some of the amazing people that helped build the church to that point decided they weren't ready to go along for the ride. And honestly, I think some of them, God moved them on and there was nothing wrong with them moving on. It just hurt because relationally we had been so connected and I called some of them aunt and uncle and it was just painful. We were called to not go on the same path anymore. And so hundreds of people made that decision and it became very difficult for our family and to compound things. It was 2008, so the recession was happening and just the world was a crazy place at that time. And I remember my parents calling us into their house for a meeting and I'm in my early 20s. We had just started ministry. I think Joey was like a year old, maybe at best. And um, we, we go into the family room and we're talking and they drop the bomb on us and they say, hey, we're gonna probably move to Chicago. That's my mom's hometown. And we're just gonna start over. We think we're gonna start a church. We don't know what we're gonna do or what it's gonna look like. We just know we can't stay here. It was heartbreaking for me because I remember thinking in that moment, I don't feel called to Chicago. I don't know what God wants from me. Actually, they went on a trip to kind of spy out the land, you know, and scouted Chicago out. And I had to stay home and preach and nobody knew what was going on, but that was a weekend, let me tell you. And I just remember my parents, they would drive to another city an hour away to get groceries because it was just too painful to see the people that they loved and they didn't quite know who all had left yet. It was just tough. And I remember just, I had never seen my parents hurting like that and I had never experienced pain like that. Can I just tell you something? It was the power of two. It was two by two that saved our family. I remember just... One person at a time, God would lead people into my parents' life. There, there's an amazing couple named uh, Ken and Lynette Hagen, and they were the, the presidents of the Bible college where my parents met. And they would check in on them almost every week, and they had dinner with them and just loved on them and listened to them and encouraged them. And there was another couple uh, that to, Tony and Lisa Cook, they, they flew in on their own dime. I think it was Tony flew, and he just spent a couple days with them and just was with them, just loved on them encouraged them. And Pastor Mark Pegley, who's going to preach at our 40th and you name it, I could list a whole bunch more. And a ton of you were just so encouraging and, and life-giving during that time. 
But can I tell you, it was just one conversation after the other. One person at a time just kept saying, hey, there's more in you. Don't give up. We love you. God's going to make, he's going to get you through this. This too will pass. On the other side of this is something beautiful. If you don't quit, there's a harvest if you don't give up. And I'm just so thankful that there were people like that that encouraged my parents to keep going. Because you know what? We wouldn't be sitting here today. BC Boardman wouldn't even exist if they had thrown in the towel. But I'm so thankful for people. God using people. I was thinking about just this year, my dad, as he experienced the stroke, and uh, there were, I think, nine weeks where he didn't set foot in the church building. And this is my dad who's never known anything different for 40 years, and he was slurring his words, and I just... I was devastated, to be honest, and he recovered really quickly, and there were some cool miracles, but it was a long process of recovery emotionally, and I just remember at the summer, the beginning of the summer, we had three different camps we were going to go preach at, and I remember getting to the first camp feeling so empty, to be honest, because in ministry, I just felt like I'd been giving, 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 and then I was kind of carrying the extra weight and trying to make sure everything uh, still kept moving, and I remember going there that day, and I had to preach, I think, I don't know, eight times that week or something crazy, morning and night. And I didn't know this, but our friends, Eric and Alexa, who are the pastors of this church where we were doing their student camp, they planned to come up and they drove two hours to come hang out with us that day. And it was like the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. They walked in and they said, what are you guys up to? And I think we spent about two hours with them. And we just went and sat by a lake and they're pastor's kids and they have a lot of the same experiences and they've, they're now pastoring the church that their parent, parents started 30 years ago and they just breathed life into us. They just loved on us and encouraged us. And I didn't know that was gonna happen, but <clears throat> in hindsight, God ordained that moment to happen. Then we went to Impact Summer Camp where our students were at and I ended up having a couple of moments where I got to talk to some good friends. One of them is Pastor Shane Roadhamel, who leads all of Impact. Another one, his name is Dan Owings, and they just breathed life into me. They prayed for me. Can I just tell you that I'm the richest man on planet Earth because I have people like that in my corner that have loved me through those tough moments. And it didn't make all the pain go away, and it didn't make all the problems go away, but it gave me enough enough courage to keep going one more day. When you encourage someone, you infuse courage in them. You, you breathe life into them. And I'm just telling you, this is the design of God's church. First Thessalonians 3.2 says it this way. We sent Timothy to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you are going through. This is the design of this holy herd that God's placed you in. If I had to guess, there's probably some people in here and you walked in today and you're thinking about throwing in the towel. I bet in a room this size, there's one or two of you that thought this will probably be the last time I come to church in a while. I don't even know if it's making a difference. I don't feel like I know anyone and I've tried to get connected, but I just haven't found anyone. Can I just tell you, just keep trying. Just keep coming back. Just keep doing connect groups. Some of you are battling an addiction and you're not sure how you're gonna break free from it and it's gonna be that freedom group that helps you. And it's not just the curriculum, it's the people. It's the people. Some of you, you're just looking for some people that know how to parent and you're like, I'm not figuring this out and I would love to get around some other people that maybe don't know how to parent either, but we can figure it out together and crack open the word of God and help me not to kill my children. You know what I'm saying? Like just, just to find some people that can go through life with you. 
I say this with all the sincerity in my heart. There is not one person that is exempt from this message. And Believer's Church is a church that exists to see people connected to God. And the way we do it is by connecting you with people that are on the path to that purpose and already following Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're done. There's an African proverb that says, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. So if that's you and you're like, man, I know God led me here today. I know it's time for me to get connected. Maybe I've even like been disconnected a little bit and I've been there, done that, and I kind of talked myself out of being in a group, and I've talked myself out of serving, and I, I just hear God gently calling me back, saying, it's time. Can I just challenge you? Don't let another Sunday go by. Go right out to those groups today. Sign up for one. Sign up for six. There was a kid last week. He's, I think, 19. He signed up for six groups. He's like, I'm all in, baby. I got one a day, you know, one every day of the week, and I'll come on Sunday to the service. Just take a step. Some of you, your marriage has fallen apart. And, and listen, and God has an instruction manual for your marriage. And all you need to do is get around some other married couples and they're not perfect. I'm in that group. I can promise you it won't be perfect married couples, but you just need some people to help you walk through this together. And it'll be a little uncomfortable, but listen, God always calls you out of comfort. Nothing God does in your life happens inside of your comfort zone. So take a step. Some of you, you're a little bit up in years and you think, man, there's no way God could still use me. Nobody wants to hang out with me. Listen, no, 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 we need you the most. Look at how many young people are in this room. They need some seasoned saints to help them to figure out how to navigate life. Young people, you're not too young to be used by God. We need your energy. We need your passion. You need their wisdom. It works great together, two by two. Some of y'all are waiting for that perfect spouse to come along, that per perfect someone. Then your identity will be solidified. Then it'll be validated. I have someone that I can come to church with. Listen, just serve God with your singleness. Surrender your singleness to him and he'll lead you to the right person. It never happens outside of that order. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. I'm done preaching. Can I just lead you in a prayer? Say this with me, dear God, you have my whole heart. Thank you that you've led me to a holy herd for a holy purpose. So help me not to live life alone. Help me to live two by two. And now show me who I can lift up, who I can breathe life into. You have every part of me. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.